I'm Gail Straub, and you're listening to She Explores, a podcast for and about inquisitive women in the outdoors, on the road, and besides. In this episode, we'll hear from women who currently work or who have worked in the National Park or Forest Service. When I decided to create this episode, I didn't really have an agenda. It came out of a place of curiosity. These are two government agencies that I don't know a whole lot about, but I do know that the work they do is important. I put out a call for women to submit their stories in hopes to put a face to the women who spend their days in the forest, doing trail maintenance or collecting seed samples or facing the public as a park ranger. I learned that there are countless roles and that there is no one experience to be had. I also discovered that there are ways these agencies could work to recruit and retain a more diverse workforce. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to stress that I'm not a reporter and that the opinions provided by the women featured are all their own. I didn't hear from anyone with experience in the Bureau of Land Management or Fish and Wildlife. So this episode is purely devoted to the U.S. Forest Service and the National Park Service. To kick things off, let's run through some of the distinctions between the two agencies. I mean, I think people do think that they're all one entity, which they are not. And understanding that like the Department of the Interior runs the Park Service, which has very different goals and visions for the parks than the Department of Agriculture does for the forest, for its managed forests. And I think wilderness is confusing sometimes too. Like I think there's some kinds of wilderness that are managed by the Forest Service and the Department of Agriculture and then other kinds that are managed by the national parks. And I think that's also confusing. That's Lindsay Elise. You'll hear more from her later. As she says, the National Park Service is managed by the U.S. Department of Interior and it was created in 1916. I'm sure you've been helping to celebrate the centennial this year. The National Park Service's mission is to preserve unimpaired the natural and cultural resources of the system for the enjoyment, education, and inspiration of future generations. The U.S. Forest Service is managed by the Department of Agriculture. It was formally created in 1905. Its mission is different than the NPS. To sustain the health, diversity, and productivity of the nation's forests and grasslands, to meet the needs of present and future generations. Unlike the NPS land, national forests have multiple uses, be it timber, grazing, wildlife, mining, the list goes on. So if you meet a park ranger, their role may be very different from a forest ranger. And both entities have wilderness, like the overlap of a Venn diagram. Yeah, I mean, Forest Service has forests, Park Service has parks, And then the two other land management agencies have, you know, like hatcheries, fisheries, and what they call public lands for Bureau of Land Management. And all four of those agencies, they have their own lands, but we also share wilderness. This is Miranda LeConte, who was 19 when she started working for the U.S. Forest Service. She worked her way up to be a seasonal wilderness ranger. When you go into a wild place, keeping it wild doesn't mean pick up trash. Keeping it wild is like cleaning up after yourself and knocking those stacked rocks down and keeping it to the point where if someone else comes in after you, they don't realize that someone's been there before them. And so that's kind of what my job is all about, is making sure that everyone can get that experience of solitude that you can't get really anywhere else. 
that's what wilderness is about with a capital W. You can find wilderness in a lot of places, but congressionally designated wilderness where there's rangers to protect it, that's really what our entire job is. Miranda grew up in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada near Lake Tahoe, California. She's currently on medical leave from being a wilderness ranger in the desolation wilderness of El Dorado National Forest. We talked over Skype about her experience as a seasonal wilderness ranger. I started working for the Forest Service in 2013. I started off as basically an information receptionist. I sat at a desk and answered calls and talked to people as they came in to the ranger station. I just told them anything they would need to know. So I basically got all of the insight onto what it takes to run a forest with a wilderness area in it. We have the most heavily used wilderness area per acre in the United States. And so I learned everything that I could as fast as I could in order to help other people. And the more I learned, the more I fell in love with wilderness. Then I became kind of a liaison between our wilderness crew and our front desk reception people. From there, I just worked my way into the wilderness crew, and I just kept going backpacking with them and kept going out with them. I went to REIs and did outreaches to other people with the wilderness crew. And then in 2016, I got the actual job title on paper of a wilderness ranger, even though I'd been called a wilderness ranger for a couple years beforehand because I did everything they did. I couldn't have it any other way. Is that typically what the process is like for people starting in one section of the crew and moving to another like like you did? Not necessarily for wilderness. I was told time and time again that I would never really get a chance to be a um, an on-paper wilderness ranger because it is so hard to be a wilderness ranger. There's only a select few. There's no more than 100 in California, and that's the state with tons of wilderness. So Really, I was kind of told from the beginning it was kind of a long shot, and I just let my passion lead the way, and I became a wilderness ranger. And usually people start off as interns or volunteers. I did a lot of volunteer work to get to where I am, and it paid off. I loved every minute of it, and I learned so much. That's really all I could recommend for anyone else looking to get a job as a wilderness ranger is just let your passion fuel you. That is all you really need. You know, that's great advice for anyone, any job. Totally. Yeah, that's really, if you don't have that, what do you have? Like, what's fueling you? What has your experience been like working on primarily male crews? Oh, man, I don't, I don't even know how to put it. It's just, I learned how to be super comfortable with being uncomfortable, I think is what it is, because I was always uncomfortable. Like everything was so much easier for the guys. They're bigger, they're stronger, they're in a sense better at what they do because they don't complain. And I had to learn to not complain because it didn't get me anywhere and it didn't get the job done. And I think I was the most, the most headstrong of them all, but also I knew that I wasn't the most strong of them all. And that's a weird balance to make. I've heard from another woman, her name's Lindsay Elise. She has a blog called Tandem Trekking. She and her partner 
are hiking the PCT right now. And she worked at Mount Rainier for a summer. She worked primarily on all-male crews. And she had a similar experience where she she did have to kind of compensate for a lack of physical strength with mental strength. So the, the headstrong versus the body strong makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, you don't really think about it when it's happening. You think about it when you lay your head down on your stuff sack full of clothes because who needs pillows? <laughs> you think about it then. And so when you're trying to go to sleep, you're like, man, I could have done that better. Man, I could have done that better. And then you, you beat yourself up for it because it's not something that you always can do. A lot of times I would be like using tools to, you know, cut down a tree or clear the trail or carry up signposts. And a lot of times I would be the only person in the crew that would get comments from other hikers. Oh, wow, that looks heavy. You're like, wow, way to go. And that didn't make me feel good. <laughs> it made me feel lesser than that everyone was doing the same thing. And I was the only one getting compliments. And it's just like, come on, I'm, I'm part of the crew too. And I'm not, I'm not that weak. I can do it. <laughs> it's so fun working on an all-male crew though. Like the insights you get are just so hilarious. And it's, they don't let things get to them as easily. And it really taught me to just be a lot more carefree. And I wouldn't change that for the world. It's the struggles I went through are pretty small compared to the things I learned. Did, did you feel welcomed in the group right away? Oh, totally. They were super accepting and they taught me everything that I know pretty much. My head ranger, John, is just the most knowledgeable guy about wilderness and leave no trace and how to talk to people and he's basically dedicated his whole life to it and so he was super super accepting of me and you know what I brought to the table and um, kind of helped me form that into something that would make a difference and so and it's worked so far I think I'd like to think <laughs> Miranda makes a difference on the trail practicing leave no trace principles and doing cleanups she also uses her knowledge to educate others on social media. For example, if she sees that someone camped too close to water and took a picture of it and posted it on Instagram, especially in her own wilderness area, she lets them know about it and uses it as an opportunity to educate. We have people who are making a huge impact on social media, hundreds of thousands of followers and the perfect everything and it's just, it's hard to explain something like that where they have such a huge impact and they're not using it. That's the most frustrating thing to me is when someone has so many people looking up to them and they do the wrong thing and they post about it and they're proud about it. And it's really hard for me to see that. Then there's the people that want to do the right thing and they don't know how. Those are the people I try to find because I know that they have the best intentions. They just don't know what to do. So there's a lot more of those than there are the people that know they're doing wrong and they don't want to fix it. I'd like to think I fall into the category of someone that just wants to help and be an example of like a totally normal person that just ran with her passion and wants to help other people. Would you recommend working in the Forest Service to another woman who is closer to your age? Would you recommend going in at 19 like you did? Totally. A hundred percent. I think it was the best decision I ever made. This is Jen Smith in Winnesco, Vermont. I got a job for the Forest Service when I was 17. 
working on a wilderness trail crew and type two firefighter crew in the Holy Cross wilderness in Colorado. I drove out from Washington state that summer in a station wagon full of stuff. I spent two years building bridges, trails, and other structures using hand tools like crosscut saws, adzes, axes, and picks. Two things have stayed with me from that experience. Working alongside a crew in their 20s and early 30s, I had a group of people to knock off my edges and push me. The people on my crew ranged from high school dropouts to folks with graduate degrees, and when I worked with the members of more rural fire crews, I often dug alongside guys from small-town Colorado who swore they'd never met a liberal and didn't know what feminism was. Twelve years of schooling in Western Washington got me a long ways towards speaking my mind. And working with people from really different backgrounds taught me a little bit about piping down. One other thing about that job. I spent the off-seasons traveling for pretty great stretches, sailing tall ships in New Zealand, exploring Morocco, traveling the length of Central America. I have a stable, supportive family, but I paid my own way from the time I left home. And I can't think of a better way to earn your adventures than chopping down trees scratching fire line, and digging in the dirt. I'd recommend it to anyone. My name is Kayla Svedin, and I am a Forest Service employee on the Okanagan Wenatchee National Forest in Washington State. I work between the Eniat and Chelan Ranger Districts as a seasonal forester, and I love my job because I feel like I'm able to truly help make a difference to improve our future forests. I'm one of two people on our district that is um, certified in tree climbing, so that allows me and my climbing partner to climb a variety of trees in the area, um, primarily whitebark pine, western white pine, ponderosa pine, and Douglas fir trees. We climb to throughout the tree and harvest pine cones by bushels. Uh, bushels about 10 gallons and we'll collect anywhere from 20 to 40 bushels in a given area and then we send these cones down to Bend, Oregon to a seed extractory where they're grown into little plugs and then they are returned back to where we harvested them and we plant them in the forest that they they naturally come from. So the cyclical nature of my work is I think the most rewarding in the sense of making a difference. It's just such a blast. I would say being in each individual tree is a different experience every time. I feel so connected to that tree and I get to see how it has developed physiologically over time. The smells are just incredible. Having to overcome obstacles in trees is also quite invigorating physically and mentally. Overall my job is just so rewarding because I am constantly awakened by nature and it's it's the best thing I could ever ask for. I would say if there's anything that I could change about my work environment, I hope to see more women on my district. I love working with men. I, I am not complaining there, but man, it is, as you've said in previous podcasts on She Explores, it's sure awesome to have that tribe of women that you share such a passion with, and that would be for the forest for me. So I would say, if anything, maybe get some more ladies on the district. We're trying something new this episode, asking for your support. It takes a lot of time to create and edit each episode, and I love creating them in order to share your voices and experiences. If you enjoy the content we've shared so far, head over to she-explores.com support to make a small donation. 
To be honest, I've never done this before and feel really vulnerable asking for your support. Thank you so much for listening and being here. I worked for a conservation corps out of Flagstaff, Arizona, like a year and a half to two years. And it was with them that we actually worked with a lot of different park services. This is Lindsay Lees, who you heard from before. Her first national park experiences were through nonprofits, which led to her working for Mount Rainier National Park on a trail crew for a summer. All of this has resulted in a lot of cumulative experience. That job have a lot of friends who have gone on to work for different parks. And so, you know, like some of the information that I have about parks or like the way my, I guess my psyche has been formed when thinking about parks is from other people that I know that work at different parks. Like I have a friend right now who's working for the North Cascades National Park. And so then I went from there to work for a conservation corps in Seattle, which is an awesome conservation corps. And with them, I worked, we worked up on like San Juans where they have a national park up there in the islands. And then I worked for Backcountry Trails out of King County, which is a different government entity because that's run, that's run by King County, the um, county that Seattle's in. And that was kind of what allowed me to get my job at the, at Mount Rainier National Park, which I guess is technically the only national park that I have worked for. And then my position with Mount Rainier was unique in the sense that it was an emergency hire position, which is kind of a cool opportunity because they like really need people right when they need them. And as a result, after they've offered jobs to everybody who has applied in the past, they don't require you to apply through USA Jobs. We were able to just kind of send this guy our resumes and call him about a thousand times and finally he gave us jobs. <laughs> so that's how I ended up at the Lindsay National wrote an essay summer. for She Explores about her summer on the trail crew which was really about the underlying culture of masculinity that she found there. In your experience, what traits in a worker does the National Park Service value? I think in my experience, what the National Park values and what the people on the ground who you work with value are very different things. What I do know is is what I heard when I was working on the ground as a trail crew member. And, and it's not even that people were telling me like, oh, this is what you should be like. A lot of what I gleaned was from the stories that people told and the ways that they described like their iconic employees of the past. You know, these typically male figures who were just really bigger than life characters. You know, they were they were really comfortable with taking big risks and doing things that were way outside of their comfort zone. They were very hardworking, very kind of brash, very strong, like physically capable people. Some of the examples would be like, oh, so-and-so was able to hike from sunrise to Carbon River in three hours. And at the same time, they'd log out like five miles of blowdown and and the stories that got told were pretty over the top and wild, and I think involved a lot of nostalgia. And, and that's one of those interesting things where I don't know that that's what the Park Service value. I, I know for sure that the Park Service does not value people who take large risks because they are very safety oriented. But the people on the ground, definitely the people that they remembered and the employees that they told stories about and kind of idolized were people that were very comfortable with those things. And also people who were, in terms of leadership, they were people who really kind of like would throw you into the frying pan, you know, just like sink or swim mentality. You just kind of really had to be able to hack it and be super 
physically resourceful and capable or else you weren't going to make it and you weren't really going to be remembered. That was my impression from where I worked specifically. And and I, I don't think that that really relates to what the park service is actually looking for. I think that was simply the the culture that I kind of thrust into. For Lindsay, there was a disconnect between these stories of success and whether there was space for someone like her within them. As a young woman who does not embody many of those traits, I I am not a huge risk taker. I prefer to be very like risk management oriented. I prefer a style of leadership that is going to, to some extent, nurture me. Like, I want to be pushed, but I also want to be taught and mentored. And so you hear these stories, and these are the people who have succeeded. Like, these are the people that had trail boss positions and were in charge of trail crews and were really big names at the park. And you hear those stories, and for me, it's like, okay, so... I don't match that that description. Does that mean that there is no place for me here? And and I think that's why stories are so important and the and the things that we tell, they create a culture. And if if you don't see yourself fitting into that culture, then it does end up feeling like there's not a place for you. And especially for somebody like me who is ambitious to some extent, I don't want to stay in the position same position forever. I do eventually want to move up. Hearing those stories from me was challenging. However, after I wrote that article, I was contacted by the deputy superintendent of Mount Rainier, and she's awesome. And she called me and was like, hey, I'd really like to chat with you and correct a couple of misconceptions and and just really have like an open conversation. And her story is really inspiring and, and takes a different path than being on a trail crew. But she, I mean, she's now the deputy superintendent of Mount Rainier, you know. And so that was good for me to hear. It was good to know that there is a place for someone maybe more like me in the park service. You never stated this is everyone's experience. You said this is my, this was my personal experience. I thought you ended it on a really positive note that women have the opportunity to rewrite the stories and to write their own going forward. I grew up at the base of Mount Rainier and pretty much used it as my weather vane and like my source of nutrition. You know, the water we drank came from the mountain, the mud that we farmed came from the mountain. It was kind of like the basis of my childhood. So it made total sense when I started climbing that the first thing that I went to climb was Mount Rainier and I did it obsessively. I climbed it, I skied it, I ran it, I speed climbed it, everything you possibly could do up there. And that was my job. I was paid to know things about this place that I loved so much and to help other people enjoy it too. This is Brittany Ah and her daughter. She worked as a climbing ranger on a technical alpine team back in 2009. I got the job after the lead climbing ranger had seen me popping out of the bottom of some pretty epic winter storms with like a big happy smile on my face. (laughs) The climbing ranger team on Mount Rainier is an elite team of basically high angle rescuers slash climbers slash emergency medical technicians. My job was to do everything from coordinate helicopter operations to rescue climbers off the upper mountain to help the guide services figure out the weather forecast, kind of everything. As the only female member of the team, Brittany quickly found that she was under the scrutiny of her fellow rangers, both for her looks 
and for her extraordinary abilities on the mountain. You know, I'm not going to wear flannels and baggy pants because that's just not what makes me comfortable. <laughs> like, Also, I'm not going to play down my skill level. And it so happened that I was the only person on my team that year who had climbed Mount Rainier via an ice route or in the wintertime. And that brings with it a certain level of respect and you know, a certain skill set that other men on the team didn't have. I think that made them a little bit uncomfortable. The first time we went out on the glacier to do like a training exercise where we'd partner up and we'd have one person jump into the crevasse, the other person would arrest and set up a Z pulley to haul their partner out. And this is like a basic rescue technique, but it's really difficult and you have to do it in under 20 minutes for your partner to still be alive if they've been, you know, knocked unconscious. I went first And they partnered me with the biggest guy on the team. He's like a 230-pound giant dude. And I was like, okay, (laughs) I can do this. And so he, like, jumped in the crevasse, and I went flying and arrested, you know, before I fell in, too, and started setting up my my anchor above my head. And he's so heavy, if I pulled my head off the glacier, like, my face was just smashed into the glacier. My stomach's on the ground. And I'm digging above my head with my second ice axe to place an anchor so that I could stand up and go check on him. And all the while, all my team members, I say with like air quotes, were in my face, like yelling at me military style, like, you're not strong enough. You're not going to be able to do it. You're just going to drop him. That anchor doesn't look like it's going to hold, goading me. So I stood up and went and checked on him, set up my pulley, you know, knocked out the lip of the crevasse and pulled him out. But while I was pulling, they were also like, you're not strong enough. You're going to have to set up a six to one mechanical advantage to pull him out. He's too heavy. You can't do it. Like really trying to make me fail. But I did the mental calculations and I was like, you know, with rope drag in his backpack, he couldn't be more than 300 pounds, which means I'm only pulling a hundred pounds and I can do that. Okay. I can do this. And I did it and I pulled him out and it was 16 minutes, which was great. And I was stoked. And then everybody else got paired up with people of their equal size and the leaders of the team helped them because a lot of them didn't remember how to do it. How did people react after you succeeded? They were just like silent. I don't think anybody said good job. I think the guy that I pulled out was like, Hey, thanks. That was great. And he was like, you know, down there just hanging out. (laughs) but they wanted to ignore it. And then when I, I was super sweaty after doing that. So I like stripped down to my sports bra and put on a new shirt because that's what you do when you're sweaty and you don't want to get hypothermia while you're on the glacier the whole day. They were like, what are you doing? Like wearing your tank top on the glacier. All weird about it, even though they were running around shirtless. It just didn't feel good. And from that experience on, I was a little on guard. Oh man, what's gonna happen next? For Brittany, the harassment escalated, and her time as a climbing ranger ended with an incident of sexual assault. When I received her voice memo, the parallels to a Huffington Post article by Catherine Joyce published earlier this year were both unfortunate and uncanny. There are too many stories like Brittany's to not tell them. And while the Huffington Post article was illuminating for highlighting the incidences of male entitlement in our parks and forests, I was disappointed that it didn't include any proposed solutions or the stories of good within our parks and forests. For better or worse, I'm an optimist about our ability to move forward and become more understanding, compassionate people. I think 
People from all backgrounds can work and do good work together. I asked Brittany if she thought anything had changed since 2009. I think it is changing and with the experience that I had on the team, I was very clear with the leadership in the park. Listen, guys, this isn't an isolated thing. If your guides are going to be sexually assaulting your employees, you need to take care of that. That's not my problem. And I think that they really took that seriously. But there still aren't that many women up there. And I think the underlying philosophic basis of that abuse is still happening. Again, we come back to culture. Lindsay Elise had some positive suggestions based on her trail crew experience. It's such a cool job. You know, you get to be in one of the most beautiful places in the world and work outside every single day and interact with the public who are so excited to be there. And it's an awesome, awesome opportunity. And it's something I think that young people could get really into and a diverse group of young people. I think there needs to be a mentoring program for young women. I don't know who starts it is the problem. Like, they're all so unbelievably busy. But somebody higher up needs to start a mentoring program where young women who come into the national park get connected with women higher up who have experience and have a story that can inspire them because they're not going to hear that story on the ground. I also think changing leadership styles could be really useful. And changing leadership styles from, like, let's just chuck everybody into a situation they're uncomfortable with and see if they can handle it. And if they can't like, well, they're not coming back next year, you know, to more of let's get people in the door and then try to train them and teach them and nurture them and get them to stay. That would be a really big change. And one that I think would attract and keep different types of employees. And then also, I mean, in terms of diversity, the park service is not incredibly diverse and that's an even bigger story to change telling stories that do include and make a larger group of people feel like there's a place for them can have a huge impact. And on that note, here are a few more experiences of women working in various positions at our parks and forests. I'm a park ranger for the National Park Service at Grand Teton National Park and I work in backcountry permits. There's definitely a couple of things that I enjoy most about my job. Helping people plan out their backpacking trips into the park such as along the Teton Crest Trail is so much fun. They're usually so excited to get out there because it's something that they've been planning for and waiting for for quite a while. And then when I see them after their trip and they tell me just how much fun they had, how beautiful it was, all the wildlife that they saw, rewarding to see that they enjoyed the trip, that I was able to help them plan the best possible time back there. Always awesome. The other thing that I definitely love about my job is that I actually get paid to hike and backpack pretty often in such an amazing place. My name is Amanda and I'm a wildland firefighter in Northern Idaho. I've realized in my first season that this job is largely defined by uncertainty. It's being told in the morning that you're going on a two-week fire assignment and being in the back of a truck headed for Utah two hours later. Sometimes there's not much going on and you don't get a fire for weeks. This, my crew assures me, is what firefighting actually is. It ebbs and flows like anything else, from 16-hour days of hard work to a standard 9-to-5 where you're sweeping the floor and cleaning bathrooms out of boredom. The uncertainty is something I both like and dislike about this job. When on assignment, you rarely know where you'll be sleeping that night, where your next meal will come from, if you'll have fire the next day, or if you'll have access to a shower or a cell phone signal. It's all up in the air, always. 
We spent hours looking for things to pass the time, only to get a call for a fire at 5 p.m. just as we're leaving for the night. Of course, there's so much more about this job that I love, that I make a living in the woods, that I've learned how to use and fix a chainsaw, that I get paid to hike and run and work out, and especially that I get to see land that I never get to see otherwise. I spend time with good people in beautiful places, usually without a cell phone signal so that we can really get to know each other. We eat weird food and sleep in uncomfortable places after working all day, but it's all just a good reminder that things are always in motion and no matter how uncertain or uncomfortable it is, it'll pass. I think what I love most about my job, both with the MPS and currently with the Forest Service as a park ranger, are the days and experiences that leave myself and visitors rich with a sense of a place, where we're just a small detail in what is often a humbling landscape. I really love connecting people with wilderness, not only as it's unfolding before us, but also in the sense that I'm putting them into it. I'm having them realize that we're actually a large part of it, no matter where we may be. For instance, I have worked in Ohio, last year I was in the desert, and now I'm currently in Alaska. And so a big part of my job is feeling connected to the landscape myself in order to inspire that in other people. I get to witness the joy that washes over people who get to stand before such beauty. And I get to help connect them to the magic of these places. Being a park ranger means I get to behold the enormous beauty of a place left to its wildness. And the magic of it all sweeps me off of my feet every single day. I mean, who wouldn't love that? And on top of all this, I'm constantly surrounded by adventurous, motivated, eager, and curious people. So there's never really a dull moment, even when things aren't going according to plan. And I've made friends with people from all across the globe. People who have lent me a hand, or a sleeping bag, or a couch to crash on, or have just included me in their random adventures, or shared some laughter with me. Those are the moments that really matter, and without this job, I don't know what moments I really would have created. Being a park ranger has opened me up to a world of opportunity, and for that, I'll forever be grateful. I hope this episode has provided you glimpses into what working for the forest or park service is like in the United States. I think it's so exciting that jobs like this exist and more and more women like you are filling them. If you want to learn more about the women interviewed today, head over to the episode page via she-explorers.com podcast. Thanks to each and every woman for sharing her story and thank you for listening. As always, if you enjoyed the podcast, head over to she-explores.com for more essays, photos, and stories. And if you do feel compelled to help support this episode with a small donation, thank you so much. Just head over to she-explores.com support. Music in this episode is by Mind's Eye, Mize, Steve Combs, and Jazar. Our next episode is about the benefits of going in alone in the wild. We're still looking for contributors. Head over to she-explores.com slash your voice for more details. Until then, have a great week.